Well, I invite you to open your Bibles now to Acts chapter 20. And we'll be looking at verses 13 through 16 this morning. And this is uh, Paul on his third missionary journey. He's uh, gradually making his way back to Jerusalem. And he has this large contribution of money from all of these churches that he has helped to plant uh, these churches are made up of believing Jews and Gentiles, and they're bringing, he's bringing a big contribution back to help the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem. So we uh, pick up the travels. He's been at Troas, where Eutychus fell out of the window and died, and God, uh, by His grace, resurrected Eutychus through the embrace of the Apostle Paul. And so, uh, again, we pick it up in chapter 20, starting in verse 13, as they now leave Troas, as they start making their way down the coast, eventually to go to Jerusalem. So I'll begin reading in verse 13. And as I'm reading, uh, please give careful attention to the reading of God's holy word. Verse 13, But we, going ahead to the ship, set sail for Asos, intending from there to take Paul on board, for so he had arranged it, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. Sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite Chios, and the next day we crossed over to Samos, And the day following, we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. And may God bless the reading of His Word. Well, we read in verse uh, 13 this very interesting verse that they are now... uh, moving from Troas, and they're going to make their way down to Asos. And what we find in verse 13, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, says, we, going ahead to the ship, set sail for Asos. So Luke and all the other traveling companions with Paul got in a ship from Troas, and they're going to sail around the Cape and make it to Asos. And he says, intending from there to take Paul on board. Paul was not going to go with them on the ship. For so he had arranged it, intending himself to go by land. So what we know is at this time, Paul has seven traveling companions. Six of them are mentioned back up in, in verse uh, 4. You have Sopater. Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius, Timothy, Tychicus, Trophimus, and Luke. Luke joined them in, uh, in Philippi. So you have these seven traveling companions get on the ship, and they're going to sail around to Asos, but Paul decides he's going to walk it. He's going to walk that whole journey alone. And the question that I have Uh, wondered about and have read about is why did he do that? 
Why did Paul go alone by land on this long journey? It's about a 30 mile walk. It would take him two long days. Why did he not get on the ship with all the other uh, co-workers and men that were working with him? Why did he send them all by water, by ship, and he chose to walk it and insisted that he apparently walked it by himself. Now, some people would uh, have, have wrestled with this, commentators, and some say, well, it could have been to avoid danger on the sea. Either because maybe there was a plot against him like there was when he was leaving Corinth, and he decided to not sail back to home, but rather he backtracked up around Macedonia again. Some say, well, maybe there was another plot on board, or maybe these are dangerous waters going around the Cape here because of the currents and the winds. It's just a dangerous journey. But the question would be, why would Paul send brothers that he loved to, to take a dangerous route when he would walk it just to avoid the danger. It just doesn't quite make sense to me. Uh, Paul was a man who loved people. Uh, he was always around people. He had these helpers with him all the time. Why did he send them alone on the ship and he insisted on walking it down to Asos? Well, let's uh, backtrack and we're, we're speculating here because the Scriptures don't actually tell us what was in his mind. And yet we know from his letters and what he's going to eventually say to the elders at Miletus after he, they move on down further down, he mentions some things that I think gives us a clue as to possibly why he insisted on walking by himself from Troas down to Asos. One of the things I just want to point out here is that, remember, he had been in Corinth. First, he had been in Ephesus for three years. Remember, on his third missionary journey. Then he traveled up to Macedonia, revisited the church he had planted. And then he came down to Corinth for three months. And then he was going to sail back home, but because of the plot that he heard about him on board, he backtracked up through Macedonia, visited Berea, Thessalonica, Philippi, and then they came to Troas. They're on their way back now, but they backtracked through Macedonia. They came to Troas. They stayed there a week. He preached. Eutychus fell out and died. Resurrection. So now they're moving out of Troas and they're heading on back towards Jerusalem. So they're moving down the coast. But from Troas to Asos, he's walking it by himself. So what was on his mind? Well, let's backtrack to Corinth a few weeks or months earlier and let's see what he thought of, what he was thinking in Corinth. Remember while he's in Corinth, he writes the letter to the Romans. And there are some things that he says there that I think are helpful and maybe understanding that something is bothering the Apostle Paul at Troas that makes him want to walk alone down to Asos. So we're trying to fit some of the pieces of the puzzle together. So uh, the journey is going to be solitary. He's going to be by himself. Why? Well, let's uh, back up. Let's see where we're going here. Let's go to Romans chapter 15. When he's back in Corinth. 
He's writing the letter to the Romans. And let's see what was on his mind back then. A couple weeks, a couple months earlier when he's at Corinth. He writes to them and he says in Romans 15 verse 23, But now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. So when he's in Corinth and he writes the letter to the Romans, notice he's very optimistic. I mean, Paul right at this point in his life is at the height of his ministry. He's in the third missionary journey. He's probably in his early to mid-50s. He's at the height of his ministry. He's been three years at Ephesus, have seen marvelous things take place, churches planted. And what is he thinking of? i got to go back to Jerusalem. And then my plan is to go to Rome. I want to see you folks in Rome. He's writing his letter to the Romans. I want to spend time with you. I want to be refreshed by your fellowship. And then you will help launch me to Spain. So he envisions that his ministry is going to be ongoing. That he's still free. He still has the liberty to minister. And his heart is to go to Spain. So he's envisioning all this when he's writing this letter. When he's in Corinth. And he writes a letter to the Romans. It's a very interesting insight. Because that's going to change. But right now when he's in Corinth, he's looking forward. He's looking ahead. He's upbeat. He's excited. He's a free man. And he's envisioning more ministry all the way to Spain. So again, he has big plans for his future. But there's other things that he also expresses to the Romans when he's at Corinth that he does have some concerns when he goes to Jerusalem. He says later on in Romans 15, verse 30, he says, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Okay, Paul, why do you want them to pray for you? Well, he says that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. Now he assumes he's going to be rescued because he's making plans to go to Rome and then to go to Spain. But he knows in going back to Jerusalem, this is dangerous territory. Okay, So what's on his mind? He has big plans for his future ministry. He's looking forward to going to Rome and then going to Spain preaching the Gospel, establishing more churches. But he's got a little bump in the road. He's got to go to Jerusalem and he has to get around and circumvent the enemies that are there, the enemies of the Gospel. But he anticipates that he'll do that. So he's planning on going to Rome and going to Spain. However, after he leaves Corinth and he's starting to go back up through Macedonia down to Troas... And by the time he gets to Troas, the picture begins to change. His mindset begins to change. Because after he leaves Corinth, he is now confronted with revelations that the Lord now begins to give him about his future that don't line up with his plans 
with his desires, with his goals. When he leaves Corinth, he's optimistic, he's hopeful, he's got big plans. But by the time he gets to Troas, something is bothering the Apostle Paul. And I think that's why he wants to make that 30 mile journey from Troas to Asos all by himself. There's issues he needs to work through in his own mind and heart in his ministry with the Lord. So what we now begin to see when he's in Corinth, he writes a letter to the Romans. Again, big plans. Optimistic. But now as he begins to backtrack through Macedonia in every church that he visits, he starts getting a prophetic word that the Holy Spirit gives him personally about his future. And it's not what he was wanting to hear. And so by the time he gets to Troas, there is an issue of is it going to be my will or God's will? And so we read in Acts 20. Now we're on our way down there in Acts, but in Acts 20, when, it, when he gets down to, to uh, Miletus, he's going to call for the Ephesian elders to come down and visit him. He doesn't want to spend time in Ephesus. He's trying to get back to Jerusalem. And he shares with them what's on his heart and mind. And this is what he tells them. He says in Acts 20, verse 22, And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. So up to this point, when he's at Corinth, Paul sees that he's may you know maybe a little white water in Jerusalem, but he's going to circumvent it by the grace of God. He's going to he's a, he's going to be rescued from those who hate him, and then make it to Rome and make it to Spain. But once he leaves Corinth and he starts going up around Macedonia, in every city, the Holy Spirit testifies to the apostle Paul in every city that bonds and afflictions await him. Now what are bonds? Chains. Imprisonment. Afflictions of of something that's going to definitely come his way. So though he's wanting to escape and be rescued, he will not. He's asking the saints in Rome to pray that he'll be rescued. But he's beginning to learn through the prophetic word from the Spirit of God that in fact, bonds and afflictions await him. Now notice, it says that the Holy Spirit testifies to me. Now probably at Berea and Thessalonica and Philippi, the Spirit of God was raising up prophets in the church who were saying, Paul, bonds and afflictions await you in Jerusalem. And from Berea, he goes up to Thessalonica. Paul, bonds and afflictions await you in Jerusalem. Then on to Thessalonica. So that every city the Holy Spirit was telling him, probably through the prophets that were in the churches, that chains and imprisonment and afflictions await him. And this is the Holy Spirit testifying to Paul. This is not just a a figment of his imagination. This is not based on 
unfounded fears. This is God's word to Paul. And it echoes the very beginning of his call to ministry. You remember when when uh, he was called to ministry in Acts 9. God told Ananias about Paul that he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So now in every city, the Holy Spirit is telling Paul bonds, chains and imprisonment, and afflictions are going to be your future. Not what you thought it was. So that now as a Roman citizen, a free man, he was about to lose his freedom. And he will not be rescued from his enemies at Jerusalem. Now what was it about the bonds and afflictions maybe that troubled the Apostle Paul? You could say, well, he was dreading, he was wrestling in his soul that he was going to have to face more persecution. I mean, he was a man who had been persecuted all ministry long. I mean, you read in 2 Corinthians 11, five times I received the Jewish 39 lashes. Five times. As I've often said, can you imagine what his back looked like? Five times he received the 39 lashes of the Jews. Three times he was beaten with rods. One of those at Philippi. That's the only one that, that Luke records. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent the deep on and on and on. He was a man that endured all kinds of affliction. So, so maybe was that troubling him so much that he said at Troas, you guys get on the ship. i got to work through some things. I'm not so sure that was the, the bottom line issue that was troubling his soul. I think it was probably rather the idea that his ministry, his plans, his goals, his future that he envisioned was not going to be God's plan for him. Paul assumed that he would have trouble in Jerusalem but through the prayers of God's people, he would be rescued to resume his ministry and go to Rome, then go to Spain. But now he is learning through the Spirit of God, telling him that he was going to lose his freedom, that he would be imprisoned, and his future ministry was going to be derailed. Now, here is a man, you, you got to understand the Apostle Paul. His heart beat with a passion to preach Christ. That's what he was all about. He would go anywhere and endure anything to preach Christ. When he wrote to his letter to the uh, Corinthians, he says, Woe unto me if I preach not the Gospel. That was his calling. That's where he got his purpose in life was to preach the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And now you're going to come up to this man and he, every church, the Spirit of God begins to say, nope, chains, imprisonment, afflictions. The Holy Spirit is telling him that he's going to be arrested and he's going to be afflicted. And I think this was a bitter pill for the Apostle Paul to swallow. At the very height of his ministry, his heart given to church planting, his heart given to preaching the gospel, going to new mission fields. 
And I think we really cannot fathom the disappointment this may have given this godly man. The inner struggle that his plans, good and godly, were not God's plans. And God's plan always trumps our plans. This is why I think the probably a good explanation of why the Apostle Paul chose to walk that 30 miles from Troas to Asos is because he is working through his own Gethsemane experience. I got this idea from a book by Mark Wilson who wrote a book, Biblical Turkey. It's a guidebook to Asia Minor. And he has a whole page devoted to developing the idea of why why did Paul walk the distance by himself? For him to do that, obviously, something must be up. And all, again, we're speculating because we don't know for sure. But it's possible that this curtailing of his ministry was weighing heavily upon his soul. And he just needed time alone with Christ to work through it all. All of these big plans of his were now suddenly being evaporated. The passion of his heart was now being shut down. And he has to deal with this issue. And when he gets to Troas, he sends all the other guys ahead on the ship. And he's going to walk that 30 miles and take those two days to try to settle his soul with all of the disappointment, with all of the struggles he has. Remember, Paul is a human. Sometimes he seems like he's a superhuman, but he was a human. He had passions and desires like all of us. And his unique calling was one that was personal to him because he lived to serve Christ in preaching the Gospel. Taking the Gospel to unbelievers in places where Christ had never been named before. But now the Holy Spirit is telling him, no, you're going to be caged. You're going to be sidelined. You're going to be put out of action. And the man in the very height of his ministry, though he had suffered immensely, still had incredible passion and energy in serving Christ, is now going to be incarcerated and thrown into jail. Imagine, if you will, a star quarterback of an NFL team playing in the Super Bowl. And yet because of maybe a politically incorrect comment the week before, he's prevented from starting in that game. Something he had worked for years to get to that point. And they finally there in the Super Bowl and he's the leader of the team, but now suddenly he is sidelined. Can you imagine what would be going through that man's heart? Or maybe like so many small business owners who invest their life savings in starting a new business and then here comes COVID-19. And his business is forced to close its doors. And though he had invested everything that he had, now he has lost it all and has to declare bankruptcy. Or maybe the rioters have come down his street with their with their uh, fireballs or whatever, their bricks, and they throw it in and they loot the store and they tear everything up and he doesn't have any insurance to rebuild. And he loses it all. 
Can you imagine the difficulty, the dashed dreams, the desires torpedoed, the plans frustrated, and with the Apostle Paul, maybe even death. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had your plans that you set your heart on so passionately? Things that you wanted to happen and then suddenly it just falls apart in front of your eyes. I think we've all tasted that bitter pill, haven't we? Can you imagine the inner struggle in Paul's heart when you know what lies ahead but you don't want to do it? You don't want to go there. You find yourself in a difficult situation and you want a way out. You want an alternative, but you're hemmed in. That the providence of God has closed all the other doors and the only open door that you can go through leads you down a path that you do not want to go. That's what Paul is struggling with. It's a trial that you cannot escape. It's an affliction that you cannot avoid. So what do you do? What do you do? You can either absorb the bitterness of your disappointments and turn it against God and get angry with God and turn your back on God. It's not, it's not wise. But you struggle with it. And eventually you experience in your life and in my life And what Paul is experiencing, I think, in his life at this point, is your own Gethsemane experience. That time when you must face whose will are you going to choose? Your will or God's will? The Gethsemane experience, of course, we're all very familiar with that. In Matthew 26, we read that Jesus came with His disciples to a place called Gethsemane and said to His disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And He took with Him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and began to be grieved and distressed. And then He said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with Me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. See, the Lord had two natures in one person. He had a divine nature and he had a human nature. And the cross was a test to His human nature. When He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, He was hours away from His crucifixion. This would be late on Thursday night. He's going to be crucified Friday morning. Hours away. And as as His human nature began to dwell upon the path that was ordained for Him to go down, His human nature contemplating the torture, contemplating the pain, contemplating being smitten of God and afflicted, as we read in Isaiah 53. His human nature 
began to cower. It began to buckle. And of course, we know that all of that suffering that He would endure was to pay the penalty for our sins. Now understand that Jesus never moved in Adam's width from His resolve to do the Father's will. And yet His human nature, of which we can understand, began to think about the agony and the pain and the torture and bearing the curse and judgment for our sin. That He cried out in anguish and grief. He said, even to the point of death. His human nature was suffering that the path that was chosen was not the path He wanted to go down. So, oh Father, if possible, if there's any other way for You to take this cup away from Me, then please do it, but not My will, but Thy will be done. That's the Gethsemane experience. His human nature did not want to go to the cross. His human nature was dreading it. His soul was grieved to the point of death. And as we read in Luke, he was in such agony, praying fervently that his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. But Jesus had to face those fears and conquer them. And how did He do it? By submitting to the Father's will. See, this is the path to triumph. When we yield to God's will, this is the way of the conqueror. This is the mind of Christ. We do this knowing that God's ways are always best, which I cannot see at the moment. I do not understand at the moment. But the God who orders our path is a God of infinite wisdom and infinite goodness and infinite love. And He has a purpose and a plan that whether I understand it or not, I am called to trust Him. To submit to His will. To follow that path trusting that He will see me through. Peter says this in 1 Peter 4.19 when he says, Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. And those who when they wrestle with their own Gethsemane experience that, Lord, I have these great plans over here, but Lord, You have shut the door to that and now You're directing me and I only have this way to go and it's down a path that I do not want to go down. But Lord, if possible, deliver but if not, if not my will, Thy will be done. And I think that when we come to that point of submission to the will of the Father, we find God's joy and peace and contentment in the midst of the turmoil. And I think this explains why Paul needed time alone. To work through the painful knowledge of what God had ordained for his future, which was not what he wanted and not what he planned. But in that Gethsemane experience, when he's by himself wrestling before Christ about submitting to this plan that he did not want. He wanted to go to Rome, then to Spain as a free man and preach the Gospel and plant churches. But God had other plans. But as he submitted to the Father's will, I think he found his peace, a renewal of his commitment to do God's will, 
no matter the sacrifice, no matter the cost, he was willing to do his father's will. And I think when they met him on the boat at Asos, I think they saw a man who had peace in his heart, who had joy with the Lord again. And even if he went to Jerusalem and they put him to death, which at this point he didn't know, that that could be what waited him in Jerusalem, he was willing to do that. So once he makes that trip from Troas to Asos, and they get on the ship together, and they make, they bypass Ephesus, they make it down to uh, the next city. Someone tell me, I got a mental blip on Miletus. Thank you. Uh, when he makes it down there, he calls for the Ephesian elders to come down and, and meet with him. And this is what he says to them after he's worked through this and had that. Gethsemane experience. Remember he says in verse 23, bonds and afflictions await me. But now as a result of working through the disappointment, working through the changing of his plans, he's now able to submit himself to the will of God. So he says in verse 24 to the Ephesian elders at Miletus, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the gospel will no longer see my face. What's that communicate? You're never going to see me again. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm not sure what awaits me there, but I know it's going to be change and imprisonment and afflictions. But that's okay. I may end up dying there, but that's okay. Because I've resigned myself to do my Father's will, to finish my course, whatever that may be, even if it's different than my plans, because His ways are always best. And you see a man who's confident in trusting God with what's happened to totally change his ministry in a different direction. Again, I think this may explain. We don't know for sure. But I think this may explain why the Apostle Paul needed that time alone. He needed that time to where he can wrestle with God and come to the point of bowing his knees to the cup of suffering, the cup of imprisonment, the cup of affliction ordained by God, told to him repeatedly by the Holy Spirit, which he did not want to do, but he was willing to do it. Because he, was, he found joy and contentment in finishing his course, even if it was different than what he had planned. Wow, I think this is very powerful. Because I think oftentimes in your life and in mine, God intentionally brings us to a Gethsemane experience. Where I am battling my will versus God's will. And my will is what I want. My future is what I want. And if God so ordains it differently, then I begin to struggle. Struggle with the changes. Struggling with having to go down a path that I do not want to go down. 
But when we get through that experience and by the grace of God, we are humbled to see the goodness, the love, the wisdom of my Heavenly Father and we yield to that plan, then we can find His joy. Then we can find His peace. Then we can find His contentment. And I think that's why He walked it. For two days, walking, wrestling with the disappointments. And I think this reminds us of how important it is for you and for me when God's providence throws a monkey wrench in our plans, in our future, in our desires and goals, that we, like the Apostle Paul, after the pattern of the Lord Jesus, learn to experience and willingly submit to God's will, trumping our plans. Trusting in God's good plan and wisdom. Consecrating ourselves to the Father regardless of what the future holds. Because ultimately we'll be with Him in glory forever and ever. And whatever afflictions, whatever bonds, whatever chains we endure in this life are surely temporary. And glory awaits us. We can be encouraged, I think, to trust God because that's what the Lord Jesus did in His Gethsemane experience. And in trusting God and going down a path that His human nature didn't want to go, to go to the cross, look at the good that came out of that. Out of the cross of Christ, the thing He cried out to the Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me, but not My will, but Thy will be done. The fact that He went down that path produced the greatest good of all the universe. The free gift of eternal life and salvation to any and every sinner who repents of their sins and comes to Christ alone for forgiveness and salvation. So out of the greatest evil of crucifying the Son of God came the greatest good of the free gift of everlasting life. If God can do that, He can bring good out of your frowning providence, out of your frustrated plans, if we just learn to trust Him and yield to Him, knowing that His ways are always best. How thankful are we this morning that Christ in the midst of His agony expressed such a humble, obedient trust in the Father's will so that He was willing. And Hebrews says, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. So from the agony, He came to the position of joy because He knew that on the cross He would suffer our pain and bear our shame and all for our gain of everlasting life. That sinners like us might be given the most precious gift of the universe, forgiveness and eternal life. So the Apostle Paul, I think, if this is right, is teaching us all because you will have your Gethsemane experiences and so will I when we bump up against the providence of the will of God and we don't want to go that way. But when we get to that point to where we submit to God's will, we can serve the Lord and find ministry and find purpose 
even going down those difficult paths, knowing that God works all things together for the good. Well, Paul's Gethsemane experience was fairly minor compared to our Lord's. But we are so thankful that Jesus Christ, though His human nature recoiled from Calvary, He was willing to go to pay the sacrifice that only He could pay to save us from our sins. As we turn our attention now to the Lord's Supper, and as we focus our attention upon the bodily and soul suffering of the Lord Jesus on the cross, it's designed to help us to remember Him, to remember His love, the depth of His sacrifice in saving us from our sins. And also a time to draw near and have fellowship with the Lord Jesus, to, to praise Him, to thank Him, to adore Him for being willing to go and to die and pay the penalty that we could never pay in full. But He paid it all on the cross that we might be saved. And now may our God of grace give us willing hearts to do God's will, knowing that He is able to bring beauty out of ashes, good out of evil, whose will is always best, and who blesses those who trust in Him. God bless you.